When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. Summer vacation is over, school's back in session, and the long, hard march to election day is the only thing filling our lonely days. Fortunately, we are sharing this journey this week with one of our favorite guests, MTV News' Anna Marie Cox. She joins us today to talk about the renewed focus on Donald Trump's shady dealings with Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi. And the Bondi story serves as a unique platform to discuss the way the media has treated both the Trump and the Clinton campaigns over the past year. Meanwhile, in case you've forgotten, America is still facing a Zika crisis, especially in the Gulf Coast states, where mosquitoes carrying the virus have established a foothold. You may also recall that we have this thing called Congress that is supposed to provide the means by which the Zika crisis is averted. Well, once again, Congress has managed to cock up their response. We'll break down the Zika week that was and the solutions that aren't coming. Finally, we return this week to our previous coverage of America's jails. It's a story that the Huffington Post provided some relentless coverage of back at the end of July. We found at the time that over 800 people have died needlessly in jail in the years since Sandra Bland's well-publicized death. Since then, we've continued to uncover stories about the ways in which these punishments hardly fit the crime. And HuffPost reporter Ryan Riley joins us to tell some of the ones that need to be told. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter, Mike McAuliffe, and Ryan Riley. Here's what happened first. Good day or good evening or good morning or good weekend to whoever you are and wherever you are. Welcome once again to another edition of So That Happened, your weekly digest of all the crap we've ingested and are excreting in hopefully a sane and competent way for you. My name is Jason Lincoln. I'm the editor of Eat the Press at the Huffington Post. This week, we have in the studio Zach Carter. Hello. And uh, Arthur Delaney, still on paternity leave, learning about being the father to two children. So joining us over the phone, we have a very special guest, our good friend uh, in Minneapolis, Anna Marie Cox is here. Hello. How are you guys? All things considered, Okay. But I wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on uh, in 2000, 2016 campaign, uh, both uh, specifically with a specific story. And then we we'll talk about the way the stories have been sort of covered throughout the campaign, because there's been a lot of controversy this week about the way Clinton and Trump are covered by the media. But I just wanted to start by talking about this one story that has sort of like revived itself. Uh, Pam Bondi, who is uh, the Florida attorney general, it's once again become reported in the news that uh, Pam Bondi uh, got a lot of great favors from Donald Trump after she agreed to put the kibosh on investigating uh, the claims made by plaintiffs uh, in her purview in Florida uh, pertaining to Trump University. For those of you who don't know, Trump University was a sort of multi-level marketing scam dressed up as a real estate 
college uh, in which Donald Trump promised to make people rich playing the market. He did not make them rich. He impoverished them and scammed them out of lots of money. Uh, that ended up on the desks of several attorneys general, Pam Bondi being one of them. Uh, and essentially, Pam, Donald Trump gave Pam Bondi some money to make it go away, and she complied. And then he rewarded her with uh, a lavish fete at Mar-a-Lago Resort in Florida. Anna, you've been looking at this story anew. What do you what do you think about uh, this story and, and why it's maybe been like propped up again in this in the in the news? Well, there's been a few different things that have, that have popped it up uh, in the news in the past week or so. One is Huffington Post did the report on the Mar-a-Lago fundraiser, which is a three thousand dollar a plate fundraiser um, for her uh, at Mar-a-Lago, for which he rented he rented the um, uh, room, I guess, I don't know, who rented the estate to the GOP Republican Party for less than $5,000. He had charged his own campaign, I believe, $10,000 more than that. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, the the story, I mean, like many Trump stories, contains all of the different bad things about Trump in like one one single story. Um, The other thing that's come up more recently uh, is the Washington Post reporting that uh, there was some funny business beyond the obvious funny business with that $25,000 donation to Bondi's campaign, which is that the Trump Foundation was the source of that money. And the Trump Foundation gave the money to Bondi's um, super PAC, which is called Justice for All. Okay, so the foundation has its own history of, you know, sketchiness, but pretty obviously you're not supposed to use charities to do political donations. So uh, someone <laughs> in the conversation might have seen that that was going to be a problem. And in their tax returns, uh, the Trump Foundation listed a different justice for all organization. I think one based in Kansas, if I recall correctly, <laughs> a nonpartisan justice for all um, organization is who they said they donated the $25,000 to. Um, and oh boy. <laughs> easy mistake, right? Easy, that's what they're saying. They say they told the IR, or, or uh, the FEC, I guess, um, uh, that it was a you know clerical error, um, and they corrected it and they paid a twenty five hundred dollars fine. Um, so, so many weird and bad things about this story, um, and it, it got some attention last summer. It's getting attention now. You know, what makes it especially frustrating, I think, for those of us that wish that Trump was covered (laughs) in the style of he should be covered, I guess, is that this is a obvious pay-to-play story. And what does Trump hammer Hillary Clinton about? What is his biggest argument against her besides being a woman? Her own foundation. Right. 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 Exactly. Which, which you know, has been investigated, and there has been found no quid pro quo, you know, of any substance. And here is a case of just direct quid pro quo. The timeline is something like her office announces that they are considering joining the lawsuit against Trump University. Um, around that same time, she has a conversation, which they both say happened, about donating to her campaign. Um, he sends a check, uh, September 14th, sends a check for $25,000 to her campaign. September 17th, they announced they're not investigating. They're not going to join the lawsuit. Yeah, I mean, like literally, like, boom, boom, boom. 
It's amazing to me because very early in the Republican, you know, the, the battle for the Republican nomination, people would hit Trump for doing things that look pretty corrupt. And he would just say, yeah, that's what I do. That's the system. I'm good at it. So stop bothering me about it. And he, he was he would talk about, you know, him, his uh, he would brag basically about his ability to, to buy off politicians. And I, I wonder if. In some sense, he he immunized himself from from these critiques by by doing so by just saying, well, yeah, yeah, I'm corrupt. That's old news. Um, and and it, I find it kind of shocking. I have I have uh, much deeper qualms with the um, the Clinton Foundation. Than I think you do, Anna Marie. But I mean, I just think if your argument is is corruption for the other person, you can't go around saying, oh, it's no big deal that I'm corrupt, too. <laughs> it just seems crazy to me. He's he's better and huger at corruption. And, and you know, he was actually kind of he did kind of winkingly allude to his expertise in navigating those dark waters at the convention itself. Oh, oh, and he didn't winkingly allude to it. I I got that timeline a little wrong, by the way. It was all within the same month that that all happened. Right, yeah. And it, it, anyway, um he didn't just winkingly acknowledge this. He said they kiss my ass. He says I call and they come. I mean, he, they're direct quotations from debates where right. he where he talks about this. <laughs> And the thing is, like, this isn't just like your standard, like, sort of money for access that we're used to. And I think Americans are a little bit inured to. Um, he broke the law, you know, several times. I mean, or at least broke regulations and had to pay fines. He had to pay one of the largest fines ever um, recorded in New York for the New York State Lobbying Commission. He had to pay a fine of $250,000 for improperly reporting his lobbying fees. Um, he... Uh, spread out almost $200,000 worth of donations um, to one city council member in New York in, in the, I want to say, 80s. <laughs> That's a violation of the limits on how much you're allowed to spend on, say, city council elections. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what amazes me is he basically got top, I mean, he got Bondi for cheap, you know? Like, I mean, there was a part of me that wonders if equal work for equal pay here because he also apparently <laughs> donated... $35,000 to Greg Abbott in Texas. So, like, you know, come on. Equal pay for equal play. There is a there is a <laughs> terrible gender inequity in the corruption, and I really, I really can't stand it. Um, <clears throat> obviously, you know, one of the more interesting things about this is, of course, um, if you're a Clinton ally, you really want to focus on this Bondi story mm -hmm. because you spent the past week complaining about how uh, those of us who made a big deal about the Clinton Foundation weren't able to find any quid pro quo situations there. I mean, I like I, I I kind of fully admitted in the last podcast that I kind of take Zephyr's line on the whole idea of political corruption, where the, just the creation of something that looks looks like it could be uh, inappropriate is probably damaging to democracy. But let's leave that aside for a second, because uh, in this case, I, I, I see why um, I see why Clintonites would want to bring this up and, and promote the story. I also have seen this week just a massive war break out in the pundit world over whether or not uh, the media is fairly covering Clinton at all. Uh, there's a big fight... I guess, between Paul Krugman, who wrote a piece uh, warning that Clinton was about to get, quote, gored, not like by a wild boar, but like Al treated Gore. like Al Gore. Uh, it was responded to in kind by Glenn Greenwald, The Intercept, who, while making a strong aside case about the fact that Donald Trump is a unique force in this election that needs to be covered as such, uh, sort of rejected the idea that, you know, 
the the coverage of rejected the idea that 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 Clinton deserves like to be you know I don't know let off scot free just because Trump happens to be in the election just Brian because Boyler, Trump's right yeah Brian Boyler followed on top of that by saying look I think that the media coverage of both campaigns has become all out of whack and I can kind of see that because I feel like it's simultaneously true that uh, Trump gets a lot of uh, media coverage that perhaps a, another candidate wouldn't get, and that's perhaps a commodity. At the same time, that coverage has led to him receiving a lot of negative attention that has now become ingrained in the electorate. You know, I, I see Trump, you know, basically get praised for being able to make it through one speech without sharding himself. <laughs> but at at the same time, we have no, we have no proof about that. Yeah, and, and no one gives Clinton no one. <laughs> yeah, we have no proof of that. But show no one, me the underwear. Obviously, no one gives Clinton credit for being able to make it through a speech or an appearance. Uh, and, and in fact, there was like wall to wall coverage of the time where she coughed. Um, which is a bit ridiculous. At the same time, I can't help notice, but the, the Twitter and every social media feed in the world has become like a rolling sludge, sludgy river of Trump opprobrium. I mean, I'm having a hard time trying to figure out where the media coverage is right now in this election or if they're even aware. Well, you know, it's funny. I guess I could make, a, you know, I could sort of take a sleigh-style um, position on this, which is in some ways... I wonder if we're seeing some of the best campaign coverage, you know, uh, we have it in a while because we this, Trump's awfulness has really forced a lot of organizations to reconsider um, false equivalency and to reconsider the tone that they take when covering someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the revolution of the Chiron in cable news is pretty welcome. Um, I think that what Brian Settler and Jake Tapper are doing at CNN has been pretty pretty great, both of them calling into, you know, calling stuff lies you mm-hmm. know, in a way that you don't normally see. I mean, on the other hand, there's been a lot of terrible stuff, too. Um, I think I, I tend to agree with, I think that was, is what Brian argued, which is that in some ways it's just the sheer amount of coverage of, of Hillary and, and Trump. The way that they're covered, it does lead, uh, I think, a non-sophisticated or non-fanatical like viewer or consumer of news to think that there is some kind of weird equivalency mm-hmm. between them. I'm almost bored by Trump's terribleness. It's it, He's just so obviously awful, and he has been so obviously awful to me for over a year, um, that that new stories that come out about showing him being being corrupt and terrible, I just don't I don't find them that interesting. Whereas Clinton is a more interesting and complex figure. Sometimes she does stuff that's really great. Sometimes she does stuff that seems pretty terrible. And so stories that are about Clinton, I find myself as a reader uh, more drawn to. Um, and I wonder if that that's not happening some in uh, in in sort of the way reporters and editors select stories. Like, well, yeah, of course Trump's terrible, but uh, you know that's boring. Right. I think that that's definitely true. I think that. Like, in some ways, while I think that Trump's racism and bigotry and xenophobia, um, obviously those are hugely important and they drive his policy, sometimes they are distracting for us. You know, like, he's, he's such an obvious thug. Mm-hmm. Um, we, that's the bright and shiny argument. And also, that's easy to call out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, been, that, that's now a social norm, you know, right. thankfully. Like, I'll defend political correctness on this front, you know. 
that you don't say nasty things about large groups of people, you know, because of their, you know, race or heritage or gender or whatever. Like, people, Americans just recognize that that's a bad thing, and journalists don't feel like they're doing any kind of putting finger on their, uh, any kind of putting a finger on the scale to call out a candidate that says something blatantly racist or homophobic or gender biased or whatever. So journalists are really happy to do that when Trump or one of his surrogates says something awful. That forum was just a horrifying embarrassment. Yeah, the NBC forum the other night. Right. It was, I, I mean, I got scared, you know. Like, if this man, he doesn't understand the military, it clearly. He doesn't seem to have interest. And he said things, like, not beyond, like, people are paying a lot of attention to what he said about Putin, where he cited Putin's approval rating. As proof that he's like somehow a reputable source, <laughs> right? A lot of lot of reputable polls there in Russia, right? Yeah, now. a lot of good polling. A lot of good polling. What's what's you know what's the five thirty eight rating on that polling? Who to pray? Yeah, that's getting a lot of attention. But also, he talked about you know getting rid of all the generals um, that we currently have. Theoretically, after they submit his, their plan to defeat ISIS in thirty days, yeah, or or just the new general that will submit the plan, whatever. It's not consistent. Shows like an ignorance and contempt for like how the relationship between the military and the civilian commander in chief. Like, there's a balance there, you know. Like, it's a big deal when you release someone command. First of all, the president can't fire somebody; they can only release command. Um, and then also, those are not generally considered political appointments. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, definitely. <laughs> We have where like we we tend to kind of Congress actually oversees the promotion of generals. It's a whole balance of powers thing that I don't think he understands. Um, and also dismissing whole swaths of people from government because they disagree with you is literally a thing that Stalin did. Literally, I think a lot of that. And yet during during that uh, that forum, you know, Matt Lauer was unable to like challenge. Trump on on his claim that he had always opposed the Iraq war from the beginning, which is just not true. It is a lie. It's something that everyone should be able to do by now because it's been so well reported that that's a lie. Uh, but I think, you know, things like things like Trump University, though, it just you get you get to the point where you know it's not just that he's doing something that's corrupt and pay to play. He's doing something that's corrupt, pay to play politics with an institution which is been accused of extremely gross fraud on its own customers. It's not like just a building that went up and he like he like cheated to get the building permits or something. He's cheating to cheat people. Uh, and I, I think once you have that, you once you've heard a, a certain number of these stories, you start becoming kind of numb to like how horrible these things are. Like you're, you, I even hear just listening to you talk about about Trump and the generals. I'm like. Jesus Christ, how could this guy be running for president? But I feel like I've had that thought in my head like every day for the last year. <laughs> I'll say this. Um, I think that, like like you say, Anna, the, the, the sort of Chiron revolution has been a welcome change. And, and people calling people out live on the air when it happens is a welcome change, too. But just to bring this back to home to Pam Bondi, uh, I want to just point out that Pam Bondi didn't like emerge from a vacuum. And, and then that she and Donald Trump their dealings with each other didn't just sort of like spring out of nowhere. Pam Bondi uh, is a key figure in the foreclosure crisis in America. As David Dan details in his book, Chain of Title, um, she had the opportunity to oversee and help people who are trying to prove that 
the uh, the banks that were foreclosing on their homes were doing so based upon fraudulent documentation. And what Pam Bondi did instead was she fired the lawyers that were attempting to help those homeowners out. Uh, those homeowners, by the way, sort of collectively came together and started their own mini media empire on blogs, documenting their experiences, documenting their research and trying to help one another out. And I just have to say that if the media is really excited about the changes that have come up with Donald Trump, they ought to explore this, take this to the next level and be more at home when stories like that are happening, because that actually happened. Pam Bondi was a fraud fraudster long before Donald Trump entered her life and long before this campaign started. And people were really hurt by it. People who really could have used a lot of media attention because their claims were just and true and they got screwed as a result. Right. No, she's a garbage person. I mean, like, I didn't know when you started talking about her, like, I was like, I was curious what flavor of the 32 that she has available of garbage you were going to take from because, <laughs> you know, she's a homophobe. Um, she's a hypocrite. Um, she also is an NRA um, crusader. Uh, she once rescheduled a death penalty um, uh, carrying out. They were going to, uh, you know, put someone to death on, on one of many. Um, in Florida, and she had it rescheduled so she could go to a fundraiser. Um, you know, she has she was found to have deleted emails and texts in violation of government record keeping. Um, you know, I don't even. I mean, there's a, there's a list, you know, of like all of her terribleness. Um, I've been also like I I don't know if I'm the first person, but I've been calling her Tea Party Barbie. Um, she's like, I know, but like, she is like sort of representative of like all of the awful things that sort of this latest iteration of the, you know, GOP has done. You never thought that Chris Christie would be the preferable choice to anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Obviously, uh, it's, it's a mess and people are garbage, but Anna Marie, thanks for not being a garbage person. Yeah, you guys are not garbage either, and I enjoy enjoy spending time with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. And, folks, we have a really good show uh, coming up, so please stick around. We will be right back. And we are back. Joining me in the studio, we have Zach Carter. Hello, everyone. And we are also joined by Ryan Riley. Hey so uh, back at the end of July, Ryan, you and Dana Liebelson published a gigantic piece, massive research undertaking, really, uh, into the nature of our jail system. And let's be clear from the outset, because I remember, I remember not being clear at the start of the the, the last segment we did on this. We we're talking about jail here. We're talking not about prison writ large. We're talking about county lockups, the place where you were detained uh, upon arrest between your arrest and arraignment, trial dates, that kind of thing. Sure, yeah. So, so county jails. Yep. Um, and you, what you found was harrowing, that uh, people tend to die there in great numbers and, and in the first 72 hours if they're kept there. Yeah, it's and very frequent. So I remember when we finished that segment, you published the story. Remember, you expressed a hope that uh, there'd be means of following up on this. 
I'm sure that what you wanted to be able to follow up on is, a, is, is hey, everyone read my story and <laughs> jail systems are taking it very seriously and they're reforming all their bad practices. Yeah. Didn't quite work out that way, but you have heard some more rather harrowing stories um, about people who have ended up in stir and have suffered and died as a result. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, in this particular case, it's a, it's one that we spent a lot of time sort of uh, researching. Um, and what's interesting about it was, you know, last year, I think in the year after Sandra Bland's death, there was like one other major jail death that got a lot of attention. Um, and it was involving J. Michael Mitchell, um, who was this 24-year-old um, with mental illness who uh, died in a jail in, in Virginia um, after he had been accused of stealing about $5 in snacks from a convenience store. Um, so he spent about like, almost four months there until his death, and he lost all of this weight. Um, and essentially, it was like un- it was it was a sort of an incredible story because it ended up that uh, he was, had been ordered to basically go to a, a mental facility by um, a judge, but essentially somebody lost some paperwork somewhere, and basically it the conclusion is basically he starved to death. Um, in, I mean, at a 24 year old, it was sort of an incredible story. Um, so about two months after that, it turns out there was another death at the jail. Um, and we only actually came across this because uh, we had submitted some public records requests. And as part of the jail project to sort of find out, you know, who else had died um, across the country. And Virginia happens has a reporting system. So um, those names usually aren't made public, but we were able to get them through a public records request. And one of the names that came up um, on this um, was ended up being the individual who uh, we focused on in this story. Um, his name is Mark Goodrum. He was 60, uh, 60 years old. Um, and it ended up that he was had been arrested, um, or not arrested, but initially charged um, after some neighbors in his apartment complex had complained about smelling weed. Um, some cops showed up at the door, um, and he ended up being cited for marijuana possession, pretty minor misdemeanor charge. Um, after that, he ended up having a stroke, um, and he m- had missed some court dates, so there was a warrant out for his arrest. He ended up being kicked out of that apartment complex, was in another apartment complex that he got evicted from because he was going through all these medical problems. Um, and when the cops showed up to um, you know, help a victim from that, found the warrant out for him, um, locked him up, and um, arrested him, um, he didn't have he, his his bond was set pretty low, um, it, pretty standard bond, which was a thousand dollars, which means that you could pay ten percent of that, a hundred bucks, and get out. He didn't have hundred bucks; he was broke. Um, so he ended up spending um, a month in there um, until he finally died. Um, you know, he had some serious medical problems, so we can't say directly that this was a case of neglect um, necessarily on the part of the jail. Um, I think the bigger story here was probably what the hell was a guy doing on a pot charge locked up for a month, especially someone um, who was 60 years old, who was 60 years old and who's had all these, you know, medical problems. I mean, guy had a stroke. He had his one leg amputated. Um, I mean, this wasn't a major crime Lord. Uh, This was a guy who was smoking pot in his own house um, and ended up dying in jail. So there are a lot of problems with that. um, But one that sort of jumps out at me is, is the the routine use of, of, of these, of, of the bond system. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't talk about that a lot, but in other countries, this doesn't exist. The right. idea that if you pay somebody money, you don't have to be locked in a cage. Right. Um, is, is, is this something the that's being... I think it's the Philippines that does it. I think that's, yeah, there's only, I mean, it's very unique. 
I mean, it, it's strange. And is this something that criminal just re- justice reformers are looking at? That like, why why do we do this at all? I mean, why why are we putting if if you have a hundred dollars, why are you allowed to not go to jail sure. versus somebody else? Yeah, I mean, well, the system doesn't make any sense. I don't think anyone looks at this system and says, yes, this is the best way of of. I mean, the only people who think that are the people in the bail industry. If you look at this from like, you know, I, that and that's who's really fighting against this. Um, and actually, the Justice Department just um, entered into a case um, that we've been following. Um, is an appeal basically a, a man who was also locked up because he couldn't afford a certain amount of money. Um, so there's a lot of interest, a lot of monetary interest um, in keeping the system as it exists um, in a lot of states going at this point. You know, we don't have this in in, in D.C. actually. Um, D.C. has been actually a little bit out ahead um, of the curb on this and sort of makes assessments based on public risk, which is really what it should ultimately right. be about. That should really be. 60-year-old stroke victim who once got <laughs> eyes should be considered a threat to society and need to be locked up, especially need to be locked up in a situation where like the only way out is for to shake, shake him upside down and get his last hundred bucks off him. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's sort of crazy, right? Because I mean, there's the other side of this, this too, where people actually, if you're really rich and if you like murder someone, like the idea you could, if you just happen to be a loaded person who murdered someone, you can actually be out on, you know, on bail like before Relatively your simple. trial, right? Even yeah. though you're, no matter what your public, you know, they can set it really high, but if you have enough money, you can get there, right? But it's right. A, it ha- it doesn't really have any, and there's been all, you know, tons of studies. There, there's no there's no science on this that says like, oh, like, or studies on this that say that, oh, you're more likely because of this bail system, like, right? Because, I mean, in his case, right, he, if he put a hundred bucks up, he's losing that hundred bucks no matter what. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if he showed, like, like. It's a fine, essentially. Right, yeah. yeah well, for not, for, right, or it's like, yeah. I mean, but, so, a fine you know, before before trial. Right. If he had a thousand dollars and he put up a thousand dollars, he would get that money back, right? But he has to pay this outside, you know, for profit group a ten percent fee, and then they keep that money and they put up a thousand bucks for him. But then that hundred dollars is gone forever, no matter what happens with his case, um, even if he's completely innocent, you know, found not guilty, whatever. Sure. Um, yeah. But um, but you know, he couldn't come up with that. I mean, he was the guy was bankrupt. So I mean, that's, that's what why he's getting evicted. Right. Which sort of for <laughs> taxpayers makes like te- is is just a terrible thing, right? Because I mean, not like because this guy couldn't come up with a hundred bucks, not because he's a public safety threat. He's <laughs> he's literally bedridden. I mean, he's not going anywhere. But because of that, you the taxpayers end up on the hook for like putting this guy and giving him terrible care. Apparently, you know, I mean, there's he been died. complaints. Every point. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, clearly, right. Yeah. But like that was an expensive. That was taxpayers were on the hook for that, right? Like yeah. that, like and yeah. because of that, he died. Right. We didn't get any kind of. There was no kind of taxpayer benefits. Any of this? No, not at all. Uh, I'm wondering if there was any kind of taxpayer benefit to another case that you cite. This now, this is, we can say fortunately, no one died in this mm-hmm. case. Uh, but you have also have a story that came out about ten days ago uh, about a woman named uh, Nikki Petri, yeah. who's who uh, essentially kited a twenty nine dollar check yeah. and ended up in prison, in jail for thirty five days yeah. for having for having you know kited a a tiny check. Right. How on earth did this happen? Because this seems to me tantamount to running a debtor's prison. Yeah, I mean, that was like the closest, like, you know, debtor's prison is a phrase that's thrown around, you know, it's, it's, it's catchy. It's clicky. Uh, it's thrown around. Well, a they lot. used to exist, and in, in, they used to be I mean, widely practiced. The, the idea of a debtor's prison. Sure, in a lot of ways it does. But yeah. like this was directly, basically a debtor's prison. Like, right. I mean, the, the most direct. Like, oh, it's literally it's never a debt. really clear to me how if you owe if you owe someone a debt, locking them in a cage makes them more likely to be able to pay them back. In a lot of cases, I mean, like 
this is terrible, but a lot of, that works for a lot of people, right? Because if you're in jail, like, and you have family members who have any money, even if you don't have any money, they're going to give whatever kind of money they have out of their pocket to like get you out of that situation. Right. But if so, that's if you have you know connections and you know there's obviously a ton of this that goes into the history and race, and that's why it's more difficult. You know, because of you know years and years of oppression and whatever, and the, the idea that um, you know African Americans aren't as able to build up wealth as easily. That's also part of it, right? Um, so it ends up you know being racially discriminatory. People end up spending a longer time in jail because they don't have the fam- money. The families don't have as much money as they. But this is, this is also uh, on basic civil debt collection standards. Right. Like that's that's actually considered harassment if right. a debt collector goes after your family to try and get your family members right. to pay up yeah. for you right. for your debt. So it, this is a case where <laughs> it works because the government is basically doing things that the government bans shady debt collectors right. from doing. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, all this would this would be like a huge like criminal enterprise if it was anybody else other than the government doing it, right? You Any, know, yeah. It's what's funny to me is that uh when uh we had the opportunity to actually jail a bunch of people running a criminal enterprise, by which I mean the Wall Streeters who destroyed the economy. Uh, people like uh, Attorney General Eric Holder cited um, uh, sort of this sort of legal philosophy of of, of collateral compensation. Uh, how and, and he argued that if we you know were to like pry a bunch of banks. A bunch of bankers out of their roosts and put them on trial and throw them in jail. That it would shake the faith in the system. How come we don't have a sort of like stand, that kind of standard um, for the little guy? I, I mean, I think Ryan's work shows that it actually does shake the faith in the system. <laughs> that, yeah, I guess that's that when true. you put these guys in jail and it's exposed and people know about it, I think it does make people think that maybe the system is bad. And so you see a lot of people protesting in the streets over it. Yeah. It's very one-sided. I, I anticipate that you're going to get a lot more uh, bad news before you hear any good news. But have you have you heard any uh, any any kind of like the impact of your story? Any any good things out there? What was interesting? I mean, we I heard from, after that story uh, about Nikki uh, ran. I heard from a ton of readers who were just like interested in sort of helping her out. So I mean, that was sort of you know heartening. But I mean, the th- the issue is is that it's not just her right i mean this is an entire yeah, yeah, system yeah, and, sure, and sure. every thursday if you show if you showed up to this court um it was called a hot check court you would find like lines of people just with these like miserable stories there's one guy who um actually just wrote a check to a gas station when he was a teenager he's now in his mid-30s um and he still has to show up to this this court over it because like they just i mean it was a it was an enterprise it was a very very um I mean, the town got a lot of money off of this. I mean, because someone bounced a check for less than 20 bucks, they could get thousands and thousands of dollars out of them over the years because, you know, initially it would be like $400. But then if the person didn't have that cash, it would like, and they missed a court date. Oh, great for news for us. They missed a court date. More money for us. Like it it was just, I mean, it was just insane. It's really insane. (sighs) But continue people out there. If you hear stories like this, please continue to share them with us. Please continue to share them with Ryan. Ryan, your email is ryan.riley r-e-i-l-l-y at huffingtonpost.com yes please send us your stories thanks a lot ryan thanks Thanks, zach and we will be right back And we're back. So after repeated warnings that this would happen, mosquitoes carrying the Zika virus have made their firm beachhead in the Sunshine State. And 
now women who are at risk at receiving Zeke-related birth defects find themselves, well, at risk. Meanwhile, Congress, which has been tasked with doing a thing, anything at all, about Zika, once again neared the red zone and failed to score. Joining to talk about what's become something of a perennial thing to talk about is Mike McAuliffe. Yeah, hey, hello there. Hey, how's it going? Uh, pretty good, except that the Zika thing's a little depressing, you know? The Zika thing is kind of depressing, because on top of the fact that currently the Centers for Disease Control is is in their patchwork Rob Peter to pay Paul budget action against Zika, we wait co- for Congress to do something of any kind. This week, of course, was a big milestone. They were supposed to get something done, but they flummoxed themselves again. Mike, tell us what happened. Well, they they left for their uh, seven week vacation, which, um, as Harry Reid keeps reminding us, is the longest vacation that that Congress has taken in six decades. So, uh, when they went away, they had a second vote on this bill that would fund Zika, but to which Republicans decided to attach a measure to allow Confederate flags to fly in veteran cemeteries. Uh, a little measure that um, allowed any kind of pesticide spraying in any body of water anywhere that essentially removed the EPA authority over the Clean Water Act for, for those kind of pesticide spraying. And, uh, oh, yeah, and they, they targeted Planned Parenthood so that Planned Parenthood couldn't give out contraception and advice to women who might fear becoming pregnant uh, while these Zika mosquitoes were around. And, uh, oh, yeah, and they had to take one more whack at Obamacare and take some money away from that. So Democrats didn't want to vote for that uh, in in the middle of July before they went on vacations, after the Senate had already passed with 89 votes, if I remember correctly, a clean Zika bill, $1.1 billion, not as much as the White House wanted, uh, by about $800 million. But still, it would have done the job. So politics intervened. It failed. So... Here we are back, right? Back hard at work in September after seven weeks of rest. What did the Senate do? They brought up the very same Zika bill for the third time with all the riders, and they got exactly the same vote. And then they all said the same things. The Republicans said, look, the Democrats blocked the Zika bill again. (laughs) But the House has passed a clean bill. No, no, no. It's the House that really messed it up. Well, the the Senate has a clean bill. The Senate has a clean bill. They passed one originally. And the House won't touch it. Then the House took that bill. And in the, remember the conference committees, how they work out the Yes, yes. This is how a bill becomes a law. Right. Um, (laughs) I I have a hard time keeping track of who's passing clean and who's doing dirty. Um, I, uh, (laughs) there ought to be a law against dirtying up bills with these kind of weird Christmas ornaments. At the same time, I think that probably the uh, Planned Parenthood move at the, move at the very least could have probably been anticipated by Democrats. I mean, Planned Parenthood has actually been out on the front lines fighting Zika, advising women, trying to help them steer clear of the very real birth defects that could result if they get pregnant and become infected with Zika. Uh, birth defects like hydrocephaly, which is it's a terrible thing for it's a terrible thing for so, a child. So you're saying born. Democrats should have anticipated that Republicans would not want Planned Parenthood to help women prevent Zika. I mean, at this point, they can it can be anticipated. I don't know what you can mm. do about it. The Confederate flag thing seems 
really ridiculous at this juncture. Yeah, I don't I don't even know where that one came from. Like I I couldn't figure out who on that conference committee was like, "You know what? I'm going to plant that flag back in those cemeteries." Right. I, you know, yeah. like, yes, that will that will definitely help things. Now, oh, there's a health crisis, we need more Confederate flags. Yeah, well maybe they'll scare the mosquitoes away or or maybe they'll only be southern mosquitoes. Uh, maybe I, I, they'll I, don't know. I rather think that a Confederate flag would would attract some kind of disease carrying insect sense. Well, it has a history of contracting disease carrying insects wherever it's wherever it's unfurled. Um, but but uh, I can't believe we're back here at square one. And, and now it's going to be uh, how, how long wait until something new comes along? I mean, you well, sh- they have to do something pretty quickly, right? Because the government runs out of money at the end of this month. The CDC, oh, that's good news. That's right? good news. Yeah, well, well, shut down the <laughs> CDC, right? The CDC literally has cobbled together, and, and the Department of, of the Health and Human Services Department has cobbled together all sorts of funds to keep the thing going. But those little, you know, ra- uh, scavenger runs through the couch. You know, that money goes away by the end of September and they have to stop vaccine work. They have to stop, you know, spending money on on diagnostics and all kinds of things that we really, really need to do to prevent Zika from becoming like it is in Puerto Rico, Um, especially in places like Florida and Louisiana and places where there are lots of, you know, swampy standing water uh, for the mosquitoes to breed in. So they got to do something. And. There was a little glimmer of light uh, yesterday when both Harry Reid and Mitch McConnell said they are talking with the White House to work this out along with the budget, which they always got to make it more complicated. So God knows what else they'll slide in there. Um, But that should fund the government through December 7th, December 9th, excuse me. Um, And then... You they know, can keep fighting about, and then they can keep fighting about it after the election. What adornments they put on this bill? So yesterday, uh, sorry, this week, um, there was a, a little stunt in the House as Representative David Jolly of Florida uh, initially took to the floor, uh, looking like he had he had imprisoned the entire membership of the House Budget Committee in a jar. It turns out that those were mosquitoes yeah, in a jar. A different kind of bloodsucker, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. See, you got the joke. That's yeah. good. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, what was, he, what was he up to? Well, you know, the funny thing about uh, Congress and dealing with emergencies and diseases is that they don't seem to really give a crap until it affects them. Right. Remember Ebola? They were so scared. I mean, because Ebola makes you bleed and you die and it could happen to anyone. Right. They were yelling at the administration for like doing stuff and not doing enough. All right. Well, this they thought, but, you know, pregnant women, you know, uh, we're old guys. We're not going to get Zika. So what? You know? All right. Well, so maybe it maybe it'll make you go blind. It turns out maybe you'll be paralyzed. Maybe you get dementia. All right. Well, they're starting to care a little bit more now. Right. But they don't have the bugs in their state. So David Jolly went to uh, I don't remember the name of the research university uh, in his district. Uh, and he got them to collect a hundred mosquitoes in a jar, and he brought them there. And he said, "I wonder what would happen if I loose these little suckers out in the in the floor of the house here. <laughs> I bet you they'd be running to the physician to get tested." And and he's probably right. Oh, you he know? should have done it, like that woman who released all those crickets on the L oh, train yeah. or whatever. Well, I was wondering if he'd be charged with an act of bioterrorism or something like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Uh, these weren't, but these the 
these mosquitoes weren't infected with Zika? Uh, not that we know of. Not that he knew of. He believed he had clean mosquitoes. <laughs> clean mosquitoes. You know, right. In, in hopes of getting a clean Zika bill. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, that's, so that, that's, that's a little bit of like an Aaron Brockovich moment uh, in <laughs> right. Congress. He should have just released them. That would have been awesome. Right. <laughs> I mean, track him to jail, I guess, but right. it would have been, I don't know, it would have been worth it. That kind of stunt yeah. kind of would have been worth it. Uh, so if you're out there listening, uh, the best thing you can do is uh, finagle away to infect your lawmakers and their loved ones with the Zika virus. That's my my literal joke advice to you <laughs> right now if you want anything to happen. Basically, really, if you want Congress to do anything, afflict them with your problem and they you may have a chance of doing it. Otherwise, no. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. You know, that, that seems to be, at work, be the way it works. It's just, you know, Congress doesn't really have a lot of empathy unless, like, they feel it themselves. So it's right. not really so much empathy as actual experience, I guess, that, that they respond to. All right. Well, now, now that I've... Now that I've importuned our listeners to commit actual crimes. I think we should probably go. Yeah, um, all right. <laughs> Mike, thanks for joining us uh, to talk about uh, this problem again. One day we're going to have you on to talk about something good and cool that Congress did. Uh, that'll be a while. Yeah, it'll be a, that'll while. be a while. Well, we'll come out of retirement to talk about it. All right, that'd be cool. Uh, all right, Mike McCall, right. thanks for joining us. Right, we will be right back. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced, edited, and engineered by Christine Canetta. Our executive producer is Nick Offenberg. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week, we were joined by MTV News' Anna Marie Cox, as well as Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter, Mike McAuliffe, and Ryan Riley. So That Happened, it's available on your iTunes at iTunes.com slash So That Happened. Check out the whole family of Huffington Post podcasts in the iTunes store. And while you're there, subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. We want to thank all of you for listening. We miss you already.